Everybody, glad you're here. Those joining us online, we love you guys. Grateful to God that he is present in power immediately in this room, uh, over your device, to speak to your hearts. In fact, today, the talk is about miracles. So I have some miracle questions to get started with. Um, Let me ask you, how many of you uh, believe in miracles? Oh, wow, that's awesome. Um, How many of you believe that you have actually uh, experienced a personal miracle? Anybody? Oh, wow, awesome. Pretty cool. Um, Don't raise your hand for this next one. How many of you could use a miracle right now? I mean, really right now. Um, Maybe it's a mental health miracle for someone you love to get free of the anxiety and depression. Or maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that needs to be miraculously released from the the dread, the fear, the worry, the anxiety. Or maybe it's an addiction. You need a miracle to get sober. You need a miracle to get into recovery. Or or maybe it's a, a, a miracle for your marriage. Or, or, or you've lost your job and you need a job and it's gonna take a miracle. Maybe it's a financial miracle that you need. Maybe it's a, it's a miracle for someone you love who needs healing. Maybe it's you. I can't tell you over the course of this weekend, people have come forward to pray with me for a job, stage four cancer uh, for healing. Just found out they had cancer for healing. Is today your day for a miracle in your life? Now, here's the next question. Where where do you turn? To whom do you turn when you need a miracle? Do you like Google it? How do I get a miracle? Or do you post it on Facebook looking for recommendations? Where do I get a miracle? Um, This is church, so I have to ask, do you turn to Jesus And if you turn to Jesus, does he recognize you? Remember in the Bible, when people came up and started spouting miraculous stuff, and Jesus says, I don't even know you guys. You see, here's the question. Do you only turn to Jesus when you need a miracle? Last question, maybe the most important question is this. To whom does Jesus turn when he wants to do a miracle? I mean, if Jesus has the heart, if he is passionate about pouring out the goodness of God on somebody, what qualifies them to be on the receiving end of a miracle? Well, we're gonna answer these questions by going into a couple of miracles in the book of Mark. Now, even though in the text they are bookends, back to back, they don't happen in the same place, they don't happen at the same time, but Mark puts them together to teach us how to qualify ourselves to be on the receiving end of a miracle of God. So let me set the scene. Jesus is fried. I mean, he is stressed out to the max. He is, this is a burned out Jesus. He is at the height of his popularity in his ministry. Wherever he goes in Israel, he attracts crowds of thousands but they are a demanding crowd. They want to be healed. They want to be fed. They want to be taught. They want to be touched. It's, it's part of the dark side of fame. 
everybody wants something from Jesus and there's not enough to go around. And, and then at the very same time, there is this nasty uh, party, a religious, political party who are just after Jesus. They are jealous. They are envious of his popularity. They are scared to death of what his popularity implies. And so they just relentlessly attack him with the cruelest of criticism. Have you ever been cruelly criticized and you just want to get away? That's Jesus in the text. He wants to get off. He wants some downtime, some alone time. He wants the heck out of Dodge. He wants the heck out of Israel. Here's what happens. Mark tells us that Jesus left Galilee, that's northern Israel, it's right on the border. He's gonna cross the border. Jesus left Galilee and went into the region. Now, Galilee, that's where people know God, love God, worship God. But look where Jesus goes. He goes up into the region of Tyre. The people there, they don't know God. They don't love God. They don't worship God. He tried to keep it a secret that he was there, but he couldn't. As usual, the news of his arrival spread fast. I mean, right away, a woman, a young mom came to him whose little girl was possessed by a demon. This mom is freaking out because she sees her little girl, her mind out of control, her behavior out of control, her emotions dark, despairing, out of control. The best way for me to describe for you Demon possession is to show you a clip from The Exorcist. Just kidding. No, let me take you into the first three sentences of the Bible. And there we get our understanding of demon possession. Uh, maybe you know the very first sentence in the Bible, Genesis 1.1, it reads, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then the second sentence is completely disconnected from the first and has no connection to the third. Scholars say, in this second sentence, this is when God cast Satan out of heaven and down to earth. And a third of the angels in heaven, Satan and a third of the angels in heaven had warred against God. It wasn't even a fight. God just, bam, you guys are out of here, down to earth. And here's what happened. This is verse two, second sentence in the Bible. The earth was formless. The Hebrew word there means chaotic. It was crazy chaos. Empty, a vast nothingness and darkness hovered, settled over the deep. You see what Satan brought to earth in the beginning is what, all, what he always brings when he comes. He brings chaos, emotional chaos, relational chaos. He, he brings emptiness. He brings darkness. And that's what this mom is seeing happening in her little girl that her behavior is just chaotic, wild, violent, that all her thoughts are dark and evil, her, her emotions emotionally, it's like she's empty as a shell. The only emotion she has is anger, hostility, and self-damaging despair. And so she goes to the light of the world because that's the third sentence in the Bible. We got this Satan coming to earth, cast out of heaven, cast down to earth, Chaos, 
emptiness, darkness. And the very next thing that we see in the Bible is this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It was very good. It's like God threw the light switch on, on the, on the cosmos and Satan and all his demons scattered like a bunch of cockroaches in your kitchen. I've never been in your kitchen. But he turned on the light. He, de he defeated the darkness. God always defeats the darkness with the light of his love. God always defeats the darkness that'll come after you with the light of his truth, the light of his love. So we appeal, and even when things get dark, that's when the light shines the brightest. So this mom, she goes to the light of the world. Here's what happens in the story. She fell at Jesus' feet. This is humility. This is worship. This is acknowledging that Jesus is God and that he is greater than the darkness. He is greater than the emptiness. He is greater than the chaos. And she fell at Jesus' feet and begged him. Now the force of the Greek verb there is, uh, it's a progressive present. It means that she begged and begged and begged and begged. She wouldn't stop begging Jesus for her daughter to release her child from the demon's control. But she was a despised non-Jew. The, the, the followers of Jesus, we find out when we read this same account in Matthew, the followers of Jesus, his 12 guys that are always with him, they are so offended. No, number one, this is a woman. She is violating all sorts of social protocol to approach a man. She's a non-Jew and has the gall to come and stand in the presence of a Jewish teacher. Can you see, can you imagine two of those young men, they grab one side, another guy grabs another arm and they start to holler off, get out of here, who do you think you are? How dare you? Matthew says that she keeps crying, Lord have mercy on me, Lord have mercy on me, Lord have mercy on me. This woman, she knows she's violating cultural protocol. She knows she's doing what she's not supposed to do ever. She knows she could be in real trouble for approaching a man, for approaching a Jew, but this woman is going for broke for her daughter. And that's how you get a miracle. You can't namby-pamby it. You gotta go for broke. You gotta lay it all out there, your heart on the line. You see, if you just do the ordinary, an ordinary prayer, an ordinary Bible reading, ordinary anything, you're just gonna get ordinary. To get the extraordinary, you gotta go for broke. And Jesus finds this appealing about her. He finds it appealing about you when you go for broke. He finds it appealing about me. He's drawn to our willingness just to go for broke for someone we love. But there's more got to go deeper. And so to explain, to bring it to her awareness, Jesus tells her a riddle. Look, look at the text. So Jesus told her, first, I have to help my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, or actually the Greek word there is canaria, and it means puppies. In that time, 
The word dog was a racial slur. That was horrifically offensive. You think of racial slurs that are used today to demean and disrespect. That's what that was. It's when Jesus said puppies, she could have been offended. Who do you think you are? I just come here for you and you call me that? How dare you? I won't be talked. I mean, she could have reacted. She could have been offended, but notice this. She doesn't demand her rights. She will not take offense. She does not react because she focuses on the words of Jesus. She hears the word not for dog. She hears the word for puppies. Puppies are lovable. See, you're gonna wanna go get one now. Puppies are trainable. But puppies need help. They can't feed themselves. They can't fend for themselves. Puppies need help. And so this woman, she chooses to hear the message of Jesus. To her, I find you lovable. Young lady, I find you lovable. Young lady, I believe you are teachable. You can learn how to receive a miracle. And I see that you need me. You're a puppy, you're lovable, teachable, and you have need. And so she responds. Now, I, before I go on, I gotta say this, friends. It's one thing to, to, to identify the area in your life where, where you need a miracle. I've prayed over marriages this weekend. As I've mentioned, I, I've prayed about cancer. I've I, I prayed about the possibility of jobs. Whatever your need for the miraculous work of God in your life, never lose your focus on God's word. Yeah, go for broke, but if going for broke means praying that you'll win the lottery, you miss the whole point. So go for broke, but make sure it's within the channel of God's word, the promises of God for your life. That's what this woman does. Look how she responds to Jesus. She picks up on that word puppy. She says, Lord, even puppies, you love them. Even puppies, they eat the crumbs that children drop from the table. She's saying, Lord, you are so good, Jesus. You are so good that you welcome everyone to your table, even a puppy like me. You find me lovable. Jesus is so good, he welcomes you to his table. This woman is not a Jew. I don't know what's going on in her home that her girl is possessed by a demon, but there is nothing in your life that would prevent you or preclude you from accepting the invitation of Jesus to come to his table. You are loved by Christ. She says, Jesus, you are so good, you are so good, you invite everyone to come to your table. Jesus, you are so, your table is so bountiful with blessing and miracle. It just spills off into the lives of those who accept your invitation and come. You see, to receive a miracle, it's more than just going for broke. And, and yeah, focusing on the words of Jesus, it's trusting that the Lord's table is overloaded with blessing. 
That's why we've saved our time of communion. This is what's called the Lord's table. His interaction with this woman is to point us to the sacrament of communion. So we're gonna take it together now. We're gonna pray the prayer she prayed. Oh, oh Lord, have mercy on me. We're gonna thank him that he finds us lovable and teachable and that he sees, he identifies our need and he's willing to address our need. So if you'll pull the, the cellophane off the top and get the bread that represents the body of Jesus. Jesus says, if you eat my bread, my flesh, I will come and live in you. This represents how his body was executed on a cross in our place for our sin. Jesus died on the cross to make a place at his table for you. Let's eat the bread together and let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, we pray, oh God, have mercy on us as sinners. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you find us lovable. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can learn from you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you see our need and that you meet our deepest need through the person of your son. Oh, Lord Jesus, you died for our sin. We thank you and we praise you. That shows that there's no limit to your love in our behalf. In your name we pray, amen. Underneath the foil in the cup is what's called the fruit of the vine. It's grape juice. And it represents the shed blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a reminder that not only did Jesus die, but his blood was shed. And when Jesus conquered death, when on Easter morning, that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead, it shows that we are invited. When we are invited to his table to partake of his blood, we are invited into the incomparably great power by which Jesus arose from the dead. That power is available. When we surrender to Christ crucified for our sins and risen from the dead, when we fully surrender, we are given full access to the supernatural power of God for our lives, for our marriages, for our monies, for our emotions, for our physical well-being. Wherever you need a miracle, think of it now as we take the, the blood of Christ together. The point of this miracle for this young mom is to let her know she's welcome at the table and the table is so overflowing with blessing that it's just gonna spill out on her when she comes. She answers right. She answers well. She focuses on the words of Jesus and responds to the words of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, you have answered well, so well that I have healed your little girl. No holy hoopla, no jumping up and down, no incantation. Jesus thinks it and it's done. I've healed your little girl, go home, for the demon has left her. And when she arrived home, her little girl was lying quietly in bed playing video games I just made that part up. The little girl was lying quietly at home and the demon was gone. 
She got it. I am loved. I can learn from Jesus. He sees my need. Oh God, have mercy on me. That's miracle one. Now book ended to that miracle is another miracle, but it's not in the same place. It's not the same time. Jesus leaves that place, leaves that woman, leaves that situation, and he begins to travel. And to tell you the truth, he's got to go a long way. And it's going to take him a significant amount of time to get there. But when he gets there, here's what he finds. Some people bring a man to Jesus who can neither hear nor speak. And they ask Jesus to lay a healing hand on him. Now, I believe the Jesus shows up because these people have been praying for him to show up. He does not go back into Israel. He does not go back into Jewish territory. He stays in the region of the non-Jewish people. And for, to these guys, there is no good reason that Jesus would come across the line, come across, the, but they kept praying, they kept praying, they kept praying, and Jesus keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. My oldest son, Josh, my Debbie and I prayed uh, a specific prayer for him for 16 years. And after 16 years of prayer, bam, God answered that prayer. You know, it's not like God microwaves stuff for us. I'm praying for a family member right now. Deb and I, when we take communion at home, we pray for this family member and we've prayed this prayer for over four years. And we thank God for the good work that we see him doing. And we ask God to bring that good work to its full fruition. These guys, these people, they prayed and they kept praying. And Jesus kept coming as long as they kept praying. And then he shows up and they bring to him this impossible. Somebody in that era, at that time, if you were both unable to hear and unable to speak, you were deemed incurable. Nobody can help you. You are damaged goods. You are cursed by God. So here's the first thing Jesus does. He led this man away from the crowd so they could be alone. The first thing Jesus does is want to establish trust. He's not gonna work some miracle just to show off for the crowd. He wants this man to trust him. Nothing happens without trusting God. Not in my life, not in yours. In fact, Whatever happens that's miraculous happens on the basis of our trust. So Jesus takes him away to build trust. And here's the first thing Jesus does. He joins the man in his humiliation that he was deaf and deemed damaged goods, cursed by God. And to join him, Jesus takes his fingers puts them in the man's ears. The man can't hear. So Jesus uses sign language to communicate to the man, I understand your need. Trust me. I can help you. And then Jesus joins him in his weakness. You're deaf and you cannot speak they say you're incurable, cursed by God, damaged goods. So Jesus joins him in his weakness. Jesus spits on his fingers and then places his fingers in the spittle on the man's tongue. And we're gonna practice that right now together. <laughs> no, we're like, Jesus, that's gross. What are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know about COVID? 
in the most intimate way possible. Jesus is showing this man, I see your need. You are not beyond my touch. I'm gonna heal you. Don't listen to what they say. Don't believe that you're damaged. Don't believe you're cursed by God in the most intimate way possible. Jesus joins this man in his weakness and then Jesus joins him in his pain. Look at the text. And then Jesus looked up in prayer. That's where, that's where the power comes from and groaned mightily. That word groan means to groan in severe pain. It's gonna cost you. It always costs Jesus something to do the miraculous. In fact, this greatest miracle was when Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He was made to be your sin. And if you believe that, you were made to be the righteousness of God. You were made right with our greatest miracle ever. But every miracle comes at a cost to Jesus. He groans mightily and commanded, open up, and it happened. The man's hearing was clear and his speech plain, just like that. The, the, the young mom, desperate, beside herself for her daughter, the miracle Jesus gave her was to point us to the sacrament of communion. A sacrament is not something you do. A sacrament is receiving the grace of God. Nothing about that woman that made her worthy of the presence of Jesus or being invited to his table. Same is true of me. Same is true of you. It's all about the goodness of Jesus. He's so good. He's inviting you. And his love is so lavish that his bountiful table just spills over with blessing and miracle. Well, the miracle of the man, his miracle was to point us to the sacrament of baptism. You see, in, in baptism, Jesus joins us in our humiliation. There are things in your life that cause you humiliation. There are things in my life that cause me humiliation. I'm not gonna tell you my stuff. I don't wanna hear your stuff. We can talk to Jesus about our stuff, and when we do, he joins us in our humiliation. In fact, Jesus was humiliated for us on the cross. They stripped him naked before his mom. He lost, in his death, he lost control, all control of his body. His mom was there, his friends were there. Those who hated him, who spat upon him, who mocked him were there. The executioners were there. It was absolutely humiliating. He knows how to remedy humiliation because Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus did not stay humiliated. Jesus was glorified by God and the promise of God for you is that do you not know that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he joins us in our humiliation that we might join him in his glory. He joins us in our weakness and washes away our sin in baptism. He joins us in the pain of our past and gives us new life, makes us new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. In fact, in baptism, we join Jesus. We humble ourselves as we confess his name. 
We access his strength for our weakness as we are buried with him. And as we are raised up out of the water, we share in the victory of Jesus over pain, death, hell, and the grave. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week. Thank you.